Hey everyone, welcome to episode 181 of the MTG Grindcast, the snowiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Raffle, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hey Chris, you know, changing the document for a pun every now and then is worth it just for the like smile that creeps up as you read it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I mean the audience misses that completely though. Yeah, snowiest because of Kalheim, right? And it also snowed here like a week ago. I it don't think for, I would call that the snowiest. Two hours and then, you know, all melted away. A good inch, maybe, of snow. Oh god, not even. <laughs> but yeah, Kaldheim is out. We've been playing with it. It's out pretty much as as out as it can be, because paper cards aren't really a thing anymore, so we don't have that like awkward two-week gap when it's out on Arena, but not a real set for tournament purposes. The most annoying gap, which I've campaigned like multiple times in the past on Twitter, just get rid of pre-releases and make it the release. Yeah, I mean, th- it just doesn't affect us right now, though, so the one upside of this whole situation. Yeah, the campaign's on pause until, you know, Paper Magic exists. Right, it's it's just not an annoyance until it happens again, and then we remember that it happens. And like, how did we ever put up with this before? After the pandemic, we just get rid of handshakes and the pre-release, and we're good. Yeah, and then everything will be perfect forever. <laughs> it's like that uh, Simpsons scene where Lionel Hux imagines a world with no lawyers, and everybody's dancing in a circle. It's a perfect utopia. Yes. <laughs> so. We have been, I've been doing my normal new set release thing, which is I try to turn on standard streams on one monitor and play some draft on the other monitor. Because I don't love just like digging into new brand new standard on my own. I don't find it's like super, super educational because especially like playing in bronze on ladder or wherever I reset to. And then just like playing whatever deck I think is good and trying stuff out. I feel like I don't learn as much. As I do by like jumping from stream to stream and kind of like getting as big of a sample as I can. So that's kind of my MO for new set releases these days. There's yeah, it's a it's a good way to do things too, because one of the problems I have whenever I try to like play a bunch of new standard, like right when it comes out, mm-hmm. is that week one standard decks are just really bad. Yeah. Like generally. If you're trying to play a good week one standard deck, you're almost always better suited just playing a deck from the previous week and a half ago. Yeah. And maybe have a few cards that are cool, like Foreign Clex or Goldspin Dragon and Gruel. Right. So I, I like just keeping an eye on as many streams as I can and just like looking out for interactions and stuff that seem to be working or not working and then figure out what I can take away from that. So in in that vein, you know, I'm not going to be talking about, you know, we, we got a week one matchup matrix from the <laughs> like various and sundry tiny online tournaments that happened it's not it's not useful it displays like is it tempo's win percentage against the non highly played decks in the field as 80 percent and it's win like like what is there there's some like 80 percent win rate in here that is like actually not a favorable matchup so these sample sizes are just yeah demir rogues 80 percent against gruel aggro and we just like know that that isn't true from a year of experience at this point this matrix is garbage except for like the amount of decks the amount of people are playing right. decks so right. basically i just ignore all the numbers except for how many people played the deck 
It's like, is it tempo? Was the most played deck last week because there are twenty four people in tournaments playing it. And that's the useful information to me. Right, and that is a still even for that. That's a tiny sample size to like figure out how many people are playing a deck. Like you know, you're you could be off by enormous margins if you're just like this is the most highly played deck. It could be the fourth most highly played deck on ladder. It's also week one, and week one, Eldraine, one of the most powerful formats of all time or sets of all time. Mm-hmm. No, no one figured out like field of the dead ghost stuff yet right true i don't think there's anything quite like field of the dead hiding (laughs) in call time uh but we what we can do is we can talk about those decks that do seem to be showing up and talk about individual cards and interactions that have impressed or not quite live up lived up to what we've been thinking about and i also want to talk about some cards from not called time that have kind of risen to prominence a little bit or at least seen a little bit more play and and been more impressive than they have been in the past so i think all of those things we can take from the information we've collected over the past week but i'm definitely not gonna be like giving you my my like s a and b tier rankings of decks or matchup percentages or anything like that we just just way too early for that yeah yeah if you're really interested in climbing ladder, like in the next week or so, I would honestly just recommend playing Gruuler Rogues because those are established decks that pretty much have a good shell and a good game plan, while everyone's just kind of like figuring stuff out. When people do figure stuff out, you can move on to the the decks that are clearly that good. That makes sense. Like a get 'em dead deck with Embercleave, or a deck that has access to Mystical Dispute to punish people who have like forgotten about Mystical Dispute. Like one of those two things is probably a decent place to be. It's also um, the mill clock on rogues does hurt a lot when everyone's like trying to assemble those cute synergies. And it's just like maybe they're gumming up the board with these stupid Jaspera Sentinels or random reach creatures you can't really attack, but you're just milling them out because they can't kill you fast enough because their deck isn't refined yet. Jaspera Sentinel is the Loam Dryad? Yeah, it's a 1 2 with reach. Yeah. And. Tap a tap and untap creature you control to add a mana. Yeah, I kind of like didn't address that during our set review, but it's kind of an obvious one that like, yeah, this is gonna find some place in some decks. It's just like a niche card. I honestly didn't give it too much credit beyond just being a lone druid. Lone but it does have good creature types. It it says elf on it, and that's like enough to get it somewhere. Hopefully. I haven't seen any elf decks tearing it up among us, the uh, the goldspan dragons of the world. Yeah, a lot of bone crusher giants still around, of course. As so always. weird. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. So, do you want to start with just like going over the decks that we've seen, like the decks that we know are being relatively highly played at this point, and then just some of the builds that we have seen running around a little bit that might not make it onto a list of like, you know, twenty four people, twenty four whole people are playing this deck. Yeah. I mean, we can start with, like, the, I wouldn't call it the front runner, I guess, but, like, a strong early showing of Night Adventures. I think I've, mm-hmm. I've been really impressed with that deck. Yeah, uh, this is a showdown of the Scalds deck, and it's really just kind of like replacing the Escape from the Wild slot. Take out the blue, you have pretty good mana because we've got all of the pathways, and it's quite easy to cast Edgewall Innkeeper on turn one given that, and then you're just playing... Good adventure guys, showdown of the Skelds. Yeah, and you get to play Shepherd of the Flock too, which is an adventure creature, which is really good with showdown of the Skelds. Right. Uh, On your, your, like, 
either chapter two or chapter three, you can bounce it back to your hand. If you're doing it chapter two, you get the counter from that one. If you're doing it like in response to the ability, you don't get the counter, but then, you know, you just get to replay it and have that ability on the stack if, or have that plus one plus one counter chapter going as you show down another time. But yeah, it's it's really nice. <laughs> Mostly because the, the adventure cards are so cheap. The stomp is two mana. The shepherd is one mana. Well's Lovestruck Beast is one mana mm-hmm. for Heart's Desire. You just like can show down into a few cards and then cast them like pretty quickly. And then they're in exile, so you can cast their other half later. Mm-hmm. Just like Escape to the Wilds was. Right. That's why Escape was so good. You got to you you had two turns to cast all the cards, but all of your cards had a mode that like put them into storage for the next for the rest of the game. So uh, and then, you know, it gets to show off really nicely Arena's complete inability to differentiate between zones of cards <laughs> you can cast. I believe the showdown ones are slightly more purple, but that may be my eyes. Yeah. Imagine trying that out on Android. <laughs> I, I don't want to. No, not gonna. I, I have seen some of the Night Adventure decks play uh, Clarion Spirit, I think the name of it is. That's the, whenever you cast your second spell, you get a 1-1 flying spirit token? Yeah, because mm-hmm. adventures are all two cards. Something I didn't think about when we were talking about the card last time. Yeah, that's kind of sick. Showdown of the Skulls and just the density of adventure creatures with Edgewell and Keeper, McQuarian Spirit, the spirits, you could just start stacking plus one counters on them, and then you can start competing in the air. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's a lot of power and toughness. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's impressed me. Uh, sometimes it's a little awkward. Uh, the the builds I've seen are still being refined. I had not mana issues per se, but like color issues. So my ratios are probably off. Mm-hmm. Probably a consequence of like a bunch of pathways and a bunch of one mana spells. Yeah, I I think that one way to fix that that I haven't seen enough of yet. But I think that playing is it Jaspara Sentinel. I I think playing that in an adventures deck, maybe not a full four of, but to give you some extra one mana spells uh and then fix your mana a little bit works really well with heart's desire and edgewall innkeeper because adventures is not really trying to cast a three mana spell on turn two which is what alanoir elves would do and what this thing really isn't able to do but it does appreciate being able to play a heart's desire and a stomp on turn two and then have an extra mana for you know like there's good play patterns it helps your mana and it's very good with like showdown of the skulls so i wonder if that's a way to fix that sort of thing i could try it out i i'm just a little worried when you start introducing cards like jasper and sentinel Mm -hmm. you end up in this space where you're drawing too many cards that don't do enough sure if you don't have like agile innkeeper yeah yeah and i mean like the reason why I think it could be okay is because you have so many card advantage engines that you can put into your deck between Edgewell and Keeper, Showdown on the Skulls, and then some number of great henges. Like, you may be able to just have enough that you can overcome having, like, bad Llanowar Elves in your deck. I wouldn't mind trying it. I was thinking of, like, redoing land ratios, but just various Sentinels, maybe we're keeping an eye on i can try to move some cards around i'm not sure mm-hmm. like the, the adventures are so compact like right. they kind of force you to play a bunch of them it's hard to find slot space sometimes yeah although at least you know you're not allowed to run lucky clover anymore so you got those slots freed up a little bit and it takes a little bit of pressure off of like you got to run 
you got to max your adventure creature slots because we've got eight engine cards and that just want you to only draw adventure creatures. So there's a little more wiggle room than the old adventures decks. Yeah, but you you're like losing. I guess it's not too bad. Cut some giant slayers. Try out some Jaspara Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a giant killer. I think whatever yeah. it is. And that is one that has also like seen a lot more play recently. I mean, just because the mostly because the adventure decks have shifted towards white. Whether they are doing uh, Showdown of the Scalds or other things, I, I've also seen like Abzan Adventures, but the white cards have, you know, that gives you access to like two playable adventure creatures, which is more than most of the colors. <laughs> yes. Brazen Borrower yeah. stands like, Brazen Borrower and Bullcrusher Giant stands so far above all the adventure right. creatures, it's kind of crazy. <laughs> and, uh, in particular, the fact that Giant Killer kills uh, Goldspan Dragon is pretty important. And I think, like, a big reason for why it has been better lately. It also can tap Goldspan Dragon without giving a treasure away. Mm. Which has come up for me. That's kind of sick, too. Uh, other than Naya Adventures, what, if, what do you have on your mind? What do you want to talk about next? Well, certainly Is It Tempo has gotten a lot of attention. And this is, you know... It was basically like an LSV tweet that kicked it off. And the deck is actually just all of the red and blue instants that are good. Bonecrusher Giants and Goldspan Dragons. And yes. That's, that's the deck. And, and it's Shark Tifits. Well, that's an instant, right? Yeah, I guess it is. But yes, the four Shark Typhoons are the reason that the deck is good. Like, if that card weren't around, this deck would be completely unplayable. But... I have played against this a few times. It's kind of frustrating because it seems like you have all the answers and you have to maneuver through them. And then when they don't have the answer, they like play a giant shark. And then you're like, oh, dang it. This is not good. Yeah. It's surprisingly good. And the the Goldspan Dragon itself is nice because if you kill it, they get another treasure. And they can always have a... It seems like they always have counter magic from the treasure the Goldspan Dragon gives. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, covering Goldspan Dragon with a negate, or it foretold Saw It Coming, it's just really, really powerful. You gotta remember the name Saw It Coming, because it's the sassiest counterspell they printed in a while. <laughs> it's funny that you foretell it, and then you cast it, and the idea is like, I saw it coming, so I countered it, but in actuality, it's like, yeah, you foretold that, like, I knew you had it, but I had to, like, it could have been multiverse, whatever the multiverse. Behold the, the multiverse. <laughs> See, I know... I, this is when we start talking about limited. I'm gonna know none of the card names, but for like a few specific cards to construct it, I'm gonna I'm gonna have this. <laughs> so I should know. Behold the multiverse in particular because that's like one of the top three commons in the set. So you know, it's probably my favorite common in the set. Well, I, when I saw that card, I opened it in a pack, and I'm like, this is a common. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah that because those cards are always uncommons. Like yeah, the like they're really good. Right. Right. Um, I, I do appreciate, we'll talk about limited more once we stop talking about standard, but I do appreciate the way that kind of, I, obviously the, the reworking of limited removal has been a thing that has been going on for a very long time, but I do appreciate that what that has resulted in is like, it used to be that the best five commons in any set were like the removal spell in each color. 
and that's just absolutely not the case anymore. Like the only removal spell I have in like my top four or five is Demon. God damn it. Demon Bolt. It's Demon Bolt. It, I was going to say that, but it sounded wrong. It does sound wrong. It's it's pretty dumb. Uh, but like the other ones are all like card advantage things or <laughs> the pack mate certainly is one of the best commons. And then like weird enablers for the the five color snow deck that I just have higher than I probably should, but like take them above most things. Oh, I, I, to get back to is a tempo. Yeah. There's a funny story about this. So this is a snow deck. It plays kind of, it plays frostbites as it's only snow card, but it also has volatile fjord. I think that's the name of it. Volcanic fjord. Maybe one of the two, mm-hmm. it, the, the blue red tap snow land because that's the only other blue red dual outside of a trial and the pathway but it powers up your frostbites enough so that people are playing it well they don't they don't play the temple right no they don't play the temple right i consider the temple significantly worse than trial yeah yeah but uh, it's weird that people are playing the fjord because powering up frostbite is fine but you're playing so many basics and faithless faceless haven Mm -hmm. that i am skeptical that Volatile Fjord is where we're going to end up on the dual land race. Yeah. I mean, it may be more for Faceless Haven than for Frostbite, really. But yeah, I I, I know what you mean. And honestly, Crawling Barons is not that much worse than Faceless Haven in this style of deck. Mm -hmm. And it could be better in some instances. Sure. So like maybe there's some work to be done with the mana base. I'm I'm not quite sure where the question's been like answered yet. Like, maybe Snow is better, but I don't think people will give him the other way it's shot. Sure. I do like Faceless Haven a lot as the man land in the deck because it's much easier to attack with it and keep Negate up than it is with pretty much any other land. So, That's true. It does have Vigilance. Yeah. Oh, also, Dubes played against... I was watching Dubes play a game last night. Played against a blue-red tempo deck. But it was not the build people had been playing. Mm-hmm. We thought they were just straight blue-red control. Yeah, so counters, kill something, kill something, counter something, counter something. Stomp your face, play Bonkers Giant. I'm like, okay, now they're attacking for four. So they attack for four, then they slammed an Emperor Clue on it. <laughs> we were like, what <laughs> just happened? Well, there were, you know, a year ago or so, the blue-red flash decks that often just had one Ember Cleave in them some to just, like, get you sometimes. So that may have been what was going on there. Yeah, but it's like pretty clear that the Embercleave have been in their hands since the beginning of the game. <laughs> and if Dubes hadn't just flooded out so badly, probably could just won. Yeah. I mean, certainly the Embercleave is going to cost you more games than it's going to win you in this kind of deck, but. It was cute. It was it was a, just a funny story. You're like, oh, oh, not taking four, we're taking ten. <laughs> so let's see. Yorion decks are still around. God. They are a risk, though, to play Yorion at all at this exact moment, because I think they're quite bad against the Is It Tempo deck, and Rogues is pretty good against the Is It Tempo deck, and so like if you're trying to level that a little bit, you can play Rogues, and then you know Rogues is certainly very good against all of these super four drop heavy Yorion decks that I've mostly been seeing as the lists running around. Like four binding of the old gods and a bunch of dreams. Yeah, I also in in this five O deck dump, 
this one uh, BL Zito, five owed multiple times with slightly different Yorion decks. One a showdown of the Scalds version, and one a binding of the old gods or binding the old gods version of the deck, and just like the rest of the cards are basically the same, and oh. they are running Fusia's Retribution as well, which is the the saga that makes a four four angel, angel token, and then you can like turn your angels into the sorrows. Yeah, sort of, but that kind of card, I think, when building your deck and making plays and stuff i think you have to be hyper aware of brazen borrower right now and i'm really not trying to make four four angel tokens versus brazen borrowers yeah doom foretold in general is a little risky mm -hmm. with all these haste creatures in the set like goldsmith dragons are really good and people are playing it a lot and vorenquist exists and is a little more expensive but you still see like one or two in the gruel decks mm -hmm. and i'm hoping to see like Genesis Ultimatum is still puttering around. Uh, I've seen a couple lists here and there as like a teamer ramp, you know, normal Genesis Ultimatum stuff. Uh, but I would like to see way more Goldspan Dragons in those kind of decks because it's just a, such a good bridge card while being a threat. Mm -hmm. Because it gives you a bunch of mana. Right. Unlike Terror of the Peaks, like casting a Goldspan Dragon makes it very likely that you can Genesis Ultimatum like next turn. Yeah, you're almost guaranteed to have the correct colors of mana because you're making treasures instead of like colorless mana yeah no goldspan dragon is a, a pretty big upgrade for those decks i think but yorion all the yorion decks are so different they're, they're all the colors under the sun i saw a mm -hmm. margu one that was playing showdown of the scalds and furious retribution but no doom foretold it's just kind of like value it was a croxa deck and valky hmm like <laughs> they the Yorion decks are just, I want my value, and I'm going to play as many cards as I can be, play to get it. And also, like, four Skyclad Apparitions, because right. we don't leave home without them. Yeah, I I think Showdown of the, so Showdown of the Skelds, right at the moment, it's perhaps the best card to come out of Kaldheim. Like, in Standard, it's, it's probably the most important one. Like, it and Goldspan Dragon are definitely, like, the two big hitters from the set at the moment and it's shown up in a lot of different archetypes i think a yorion deck is kind of one of the worst homes for it because like, everything's so expensive yeah yeah and, and you don't necessarily need to be like it doesn't necessarily have to be the best home for the card it doesn't need to be at its most powerful to deserve a slot in the deck um and it does do some things that help the yorion deck out like that card advantage is no joke but like is it really better than like treacherous blessing in those decks? Like I don't uh, know. I think it depends on the build. Mm -hmm. So I, first of all, I don't think you should be playing Shadow of the Scalds if you have Omen of the Sea in your deck, yeah. because you're playing a blue deck at that point, and you just have better options for card advantage that don't all vanish when you can't play all your expensive cards because your deck's full of them. Mm -hmm. So I only like Shadow of the Scalds like an approach in more red white x decks usually marty is what i see and in that style of deck i do like it more than uh treacherous blessing because i like playing more creatures you get bone crusher giant stuff mm -hmm. like that and then you start making use of the pulse encounter ability which is pretty nice when you're trying to play like a mid-rangey stabilized game so it it does have value to me over treacherous blessing which costs a bunch of life and kind of requires you to play specific cards to get rid of it 
Yeah, and I, I'm definitely not saying like it's wrong to play this with Yorion, but that has definitely not been the most impressive place for it to me. No, nah, Naya Adventures all the way. Yes, it's very impressive in Naya Adventures. It's also impressive in like the aggressive decks I've seen with it, but those decks when they don't draw Showdown of the Scalds like look really, really bad. So like I the don't... near mono white decks. Right. Kind of. The way that we build standard decks right now is build around an engine and you need some redundancy for your engine and so like showdown of the scouts can be your engine like that's a really powerful card and it does a lot of stuff but when that's only four cards in your deck and the rest of your cards are just like cheap creatures that often don't get there like it's not impressive when the rest of your cards are like okay yeah i've got edgewall innkeepers and two great henges then that's more of a stew so yeah i, I get where you're coming from and the the aggressive decks have not impressed me very much. Like the mostly I've seen as white based kind of splashing red for showdown, mm-hmm. playing like Usher of the Fallen, sometimes Clarion Ultimatum, and some adventure cards, but they just don't really have enough. Honestly, just good cards because yeah. their curves a little too low for Goldspin Dragon, and since removal is just like being on the board is good against them. Skycloud Operation is good, but their creatures are bad, so it doesn't do enough. Right. Yeah, so I I don't know. I, I wish we had more options for aggressive decks. Uh, Usher is definitely a huge upgrade. Like, that is a card that can change standard, but it needs a little more help, I think. Yep, and maybe we'll get in tricks We yeah. have, like, a whole other set of DFCs, and that's, like, 40 cards in one, so... <laughs> so I mentioned this Abzan Adventures deck. Uh, like, basically, this is the adventures deck but it's playing binding the old gods as its four mana saga instead of showdown of the scalds as its four mana saga and you know then you get to run like murderous rider as one of your adventure creatures like i don't know people are trying stuff this is a fine thing but it's probably not where this ends up i haven't played with or against abzan adventures i'll call it but that sounds horrible to me (laughs) showdown of the scalds is so strong because it leaves so much to work with and Binding the Old Gods is a fancy removal spell that lets you like play your big stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's good at that. But it's like it's, ugh, I don't I don't want to make my deck better at one for wanting and taking out all the cool white cards like Skycap Apparition, Shepherd of the Flock, Showdown of the Skull. It's like those are those are some heavy hitters. Side note, paper great henges are fifty dollars right now. <laughs> Really? Good lord. I'm so glad I have, like, three or four. Yes. I don't really understand that, though, because, like, where are people playing these paper great henges? But... Uh, I think maybe, like, some sort of speculator's market or whatever. Because the only way people need great henges in the world are for cubes. Right. That's kind of... And maybe, like, commander. That's kind of it. I mean, there's, like, local tournaments happening in places that have dealt with the pandemic better than we have, but that's not... I, f- I feel like that is not a driver of demand. And it's also a standard card, so... Right, like, I feel like this card's going to be rotate basically rotated out of standard by the time that we can play it in, like, cheapies again, so... I... That's really weird to me. I kind of want to just go like dig mine out and sell them now because i just can't imagine ever casting one i'm too lazy to do that but i understand where you're yeah from. i mean me too but <laughs> oh wow you had teamer ramp on your list and we already talked about it a little bit mm-hmm, we did nice. i have you seen the 
I'm going to talk about it a little more because I'm a big <laughs> fan of the TRM. Sure. Have you seen the... Brian Gottlieb tweeted about it. It's like a Kinnon, Jaspara Sentinel, Magda kind of engine-y thing. I, I remember them talking about it on the last episode of the Arena Decklist podcast. So it's basically uses a Jaspara Sentinel and Magda, mm-hmm. which is tap to make a color, and then you also get a treasure when you tap Magda. So you can right. recruit treasures. And then you play out your your goldspan dragons, just like a little ahead of schedule of just clan clothes. So that's what people are doing. And, and Kennen's really good in that deck because it kind of turbocharges you. Mm-hmm. And lets you dig for all your good stuff. Mm-hmm. But that deck, as it's built, as people are building it, just like kind of tops off at Goldspan Dragon. Yeah, and has you can go so way much bigger mana. with that engine, yeah. So that's like something I'm kinda looking at. I hope people start working on it a little more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just where Sentinel Magda is kind of neat. Yeah. Or for the arena thing where it's like impossible to tap it. Yeah, the problem is like it both like doesn't count it as a like real ability for interrupting priority with, and it also doesn't count it like the treasure that you would get for Magda as a mana that you have access to. So like if you have Sentinel and Magda and pass the turn and you have Stomp in hand and then they do something, you can't respond with Stomp because it never gives you priority. Yep, it's it's a pretty bad way for that to work out. Yep. And it honestly, it may put me off of like experimenting with it entirely, because I don't want to have stops on all of my opponent's stuff. It's just so much work I mean, for you Arena. just would have to stay in full control mode the whole time. Like, it sounds miserable. Yeah, that's not really why I play Arena. Yeah. I do think that that Kennen stuff, if they ever fix Jaspar Sentinel, could be like substituted into some sort of Genesis Ultimatum endgame. Mm-hmm. Maybe have like a lower curve version of that deck. So yeah. you're not just playing cultivates into big stuff. I can see that. I wonder if there's a way to consolidate it into I mean like the blue cards are really good, particularly the ultimatum, but you know, you could just run a straight red green version with a bunch of Ugins potentially. Well most of the team regret decks are red green versions, but mm-hmm. with just ultimatum in them. They don't really play blue cards with instructive, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, and then having access to blue mana so that you can use Shark Typhoon as well is, like, really important, so... Yeah, and Dispute in the sideboard, of course. Right, right. Yeah, no, I mean, certainly, like, starting out Sentinel into Magda is really, really good and, like, lets you stockpile mana very quickly. Like, you follow uh, it up into Kinnon, you're, you're going to town. You can just but, play a dragon. Right, but, like, you don't even need Kinnon, really. Like, no, it seems you like don't. a mostly bad card that is overkill. I like Kinnon more when there's kind of fast mana, mm-hmm. or something you can play and then tap it immediately. Most of the mana in this format is creatures. Mm-hmm. So it is really good with, like, Goldspan Dragon because of the treasure stuff. Sure. It's just that you're not using Kinnon very well unless you can activate it to put stuff on the battlefield. Listen, if we had Mox Amber, 100% on board, but... Why is it Mox Amber Evergreen Wizards? Come on. Which makes me want to brew some sort of historic Mox Amber Magda Kinnon sort of thing. Like, well, there's, a, there's a better Mox Amber Kinnon deck out there. I guess you could just, yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, but like you can play one that's not vulnerable to graveyard. Oh, oh yeah, I guess there's just the, the Paradox Engine one, right? Like right. that exists. Yeah. Yeah, probably does not need like goofy Magda shenanigans. Like it makes plenty of mana as it is. It's cute though. Yeah. 
Let's see, what other stuff? Have definitely seen people experimenting with various snow-related cards. You know, there's no, like, snow theme deck, really, but certainly, like, Frostbite has been totally playable and actively good in certain matchups. The fight spell is one thing that kind of can could make a mono green deck kind of like push that over the top give it the tools depending on what other cards it gets in the future and where it's positioned but it's you know one green mana if you have three snow permanents the creature gets plus one plus oh and indestructible and then it's a prey upon so that card is really really powerful when you are in a creature matchup with it yeah because it's it's not just that you win the fight Mm -hmm. your creature is also indestructible for combat right so you yeah. get to attack just kind of for free with an extra power like it yeah just extremely efficient for one mana on one stream i saw a mono green mirror and every game was just determined exactly by who drew more of that card so <laughs> wow that's kind of crazy i have not i have not played against mono green or at least not a mono green snow i played against mono green food which is mostly the same deck yeah i mean and if you are playing mono green food you may want to like that may be the best removal spell for you. You may want to play Snow Forest so that you can sideboard that as your removal spell. So yeah, I could see that. Been talking about this card without trying not to mention the name because I just absolutely don't remember the name of this card. So I I like calling it Snow Fight because it's so close to Snowball Fight, which is how I imagine <laughs> the card was concepted. All right, I need a green fight card that's a snow uh, yeah. Snowball Fight. Yeah, just there throw we go. a Snowball at him for what is this? A Questing Beast for five Death Touch damage. And if you have you know three snowballs, you just have the bigger snowball, so your creature's indestructible. It makes sense. Yeah. You you armor up, you like get inside <laughs> the snowman, the arms pop out and like displace the two branches. Like you can't hit me, I'm inside of a snowman. It's just Vorinclex, but covered in snow with a with a like hat, Frosty the Snowman style. So taking that as an opportunity to segue to Vorinclex stuff. We have definitely seen Vorinclex seeing play, however, not in huge numbers, and right now it is not positioned in a way, like the card is definitely powerful, but it is not great right now. Yeah, I think the problem Vorinclex has in the format is that it's a very good card when the boards are small, mm -hmm. and the boards are not small. Right, it's pretty bad against like, it's it's just like a 6-6 a six -six against adventures, like I don't care. I'll trade a Bone Crusher and something for it. Like, that's fine. It's pretty bad against Is It because the way that plays out is you cast it, they petty theft it, you cast it, they counter it, and now you've just been time walked to death because that costs you five, you know, six mana or five mana with a Castle Gear Brig each time. Like, it costs you your turn each time, and they spent two mana to get rid of it. So, yeah, Board Clex is a card I definitely will see more play. It's just a matter of when the format like kind of peters out of just having so many cards all the time. Because it feels like if you're playing Night Adventures, you don't need Vorinclex because you're casting like six cards a turn. Mm -hmm. You don't want to just play one thing that can be dealt with when you could play three things. Yeah, and I, I think in particular it'll get better once the format gets more mid-rangey and then the four and five mana spells, like decks are playing a decent amount of four and five mana spells that happen to lean heavily towards being sagas and planeswalkers so yeah. well speaking of planeswalkers kaya has impressed me a lot yeah kaya's pretty good like just a solid answer planeswalker that deals with extinction event if you uh like 
because the way the ghost swarm counters work, when you put it on your own creatures, you get an extinction fit, and you still get the creature, you still get the creatures back. Because mm. it works if it dies or it gets exiled. Okay, cool. What decks have you seen it in? I I, I just see it inside words of every deck plays white and black because okay. that's a new card, you know. Right. right, and it's the five mana planeswalker that you side in when five mana planeswalkers are going to be good in the matchup. Yeah, and it's also like week one, so I don't I don't have a deck that is like, oh, this is the Kaya deck. I just see it in every deck that plays white or black. Okay. Or white and black, I should say. It just, you know, it just feels like there can't be too many of those, but that's kind of wrong, because one of the points that I wanted to raise here is also that the mana is really, really good right now for mid-range to, slow, to slower. Like, that end of the spectrum has really good mana, and you can play kind of whatever you want. Pathways are really nice. Yeah. And you also triumphs as well. Actually, triumphs are kind of huge for that. Right. If you're playing three or more colors. That's the big deal. If you're three or four colors, like triumphs are just really enabling a lot of stuff. In particular, if most of your stuff only has like one pip of whatever. So like you can easily, if you want to play Binding the Old Gods and Showdown of the Skulls in the same deck, like you just can. Yeah, you just get whatever color you're missing off of your Binding of the Old Gods. Yeah, exactly. Because it gets your triumphs. Safai. Perfect. But that good mana, you know, as is the norm for the past couple of years, does not extend to the decks that are really trying to get on board turns one, two, and three. You can't do it. Give me fast lands, wizards. Come on. And you, you like, really can't bank on having, like, white mana turn one and red mana turn two. And you certainly... Not that it's really relevant for any particular card, but it's actually just impossible to go white mana on turn one and then red red on turn two. Like, it's literally impossible to do that, so. And it's actually pretty hard to do, like, you have to skew your deck's mana ratios pretty hard in order to have, like, a white one drop, a red two drop, and then a double white or double red three drop. Right. Like If you want to play Sky Cloud Operation and a white one drop or two drop, you should, like, be pretty heavy white. Mm-hmm. Because there's just not that many dual lands that allow you to play a curve. Right. Yep. You just you have to take a turn off to play a Triome or a Temple or whatever at some point. Or, you know, if it only comes up after turn four, then Fable Passage is really good. But that's not how aggro decks work. So. Yeah, the point is you can't wait until turn four. Right. You're not supposed to wait till turn four to play creatures. Like, you've got other turns. And that's why we've seen builds that are, like, almost mono-white with, like, Showdown of the Skulls. Because, like, yeah, Fable Passage can fix your Showdown of the Skulls mana. But, like, you run out of good cards pretty fast when you're building your deck doing that. And your last couple of slots are not very powerful. Which is why, honestly, I think the Yorian decks see a lot of play. Because you're not color-constrained, really. You just play whatever cards you think you want to play. And the mana works out. Yep, I did see one very interesting. I think I was watching uh, Autumn's stream, and they were playing a mono blue deck, which was actually pretty sweet. And it had both of the blue snow one drops in it, and they both looked really, really good in that deck. They were playing against like Abzan Yorion, but it was heavily angels themed. <laughs> so it was running both angel sagas. Well, so one is an Angel's Saga. There's there's the Angel's Saga, and then there's also the five-mana enchantment that makes an angel when it enters the battlefield, and then whenever one of your angels dies, they have to sacrifice a creature. Ooh, is this a monocolor card? No, I think it's a, an Orzhov card. Let me look it up. Oh, it's a... 
you know what this card is? Rampage of the Valkyries? Yes. Three white B, when it's battlefield, make an angel. When an angel dies, each player sacrifices a creature. Right. This is a card that's not in the main set. Oh, is it from a... It's from like it's from a, a theme deck? Uh, Yeah, it's a theme deck or a, a brawl card or whatever. It, okay. It's not... You can't open it in a pack. Okay, that's why I've never seen... I've played a bunch of this limited format and I haven't seen that card. And it seems very powerful, so... Well, it's a it's an uncommon, so it's like a hu- super huge Sarah Angel, so <laughs> we'd know about it if it was limited. Yes, absolutely. And so it was running those, and also oh, Garrick's Uprising, which is from the last core set, which is two and a green for an enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, if you control a creature with power four or greater, you draw a card, and whenever a creature with power four or greater enters the battlefield, you draw a card. So it you draw cards as you make creatures. We also like. If you Yorion with this in play, you draw a card from the Yorion hitting, and then you exile it, and then you draw a card from the Garrick's <laughs> Uprising coming back into play. <laughs> That's cute. It's really cute, but it's obviously very tempo negative to play a three-mana enchantment that doesn't do anything. Well, yeah, but you back it up all these angels, and you've, you've really got something. <laughs> yeah. It was a really cool deck, but obviously I don't super believe in Abzan Yorion angels going forward playing a, a theme deck uncommon you want you want to do some i told you so before we go to limited yeah totally so you can start with your snow thing your, yeah. your blue cards i mean i i think that more of the snow cards are going to end up being playable than like the pessimists among us would have felt that's all there was a six and one uh i don't remember the motto ch- the tournament it was at but it was it just a mono blue snow deck mm-hmm. that Played all eight of the uh, one mass Ascendant Spirit and Rhyme Sage. I don't know the name of the card. The one that like looks at the top card and put it. In. It's oh. a Scrying Sheets, but a creature. Yeah, let me look it up real quick. I see the card in limited all the time because it's not a very high pick. Yeah, because you can't run enough snow stuff to make it good. Even you get lucky and get ten snow lands, and then oh, Frost Augur. Frost Augur. That's like pretty similar to Rhyme Sage. So you're gonna. <laughs> it's just yeah. It's it's just two synonyms. <laughs> but I play that, and it's just like kind of a, a mono blue tempo deck, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool because I never thought the I thought the Ascended Spirit would see play, but I never would have imagined the uh, Frost Augur to see play. I think basically they're just gonna go hand in hand. Any deck that has Ascendant Spirit is very likely to want Frost Augur in it. And for my side, mm-hmm. I had a very speculative card. I uh, it was um the Ravens warning that Gold Saga, published. Uh-huh. those yeah. really really slow. So someone's won two trophies with a Pioneer Fires Invention deck that plays four copies of that card. What? It's just a, a Transmogrify Ravens warning Fires oh, deck. Oh, okay, I see. So it's just like this effect is better than like Omen of the Sun or whatever in that spot. So. It's better than Omen of the Sun, and you can't play Fey of Witches, because you can transmogrify into it. Mm. So you can't transmogrify into the Raven's Warning, so you get both Fey of Witches and the Omen of the Sun without having to play either card. Okay. Alright. I can I can be into that, but also Pioneer is just not a real format that anybody is going to try it all in, so... Look, in a, a year home, from there's now... There's a spot. It's, it's definitely doing a unique thing, and like that's a home for it, and like it's doing something that no other card can do in that deck slot. So I, I get it. I'm into it. And plus, you get to look at their hand, which is really powerful for a combo deck. <laughs> yeah, 
and and the way that it works out is like you get to look at their hand right before you would cast the transmogrify so yep yeah okay i'm game you want to switch over to limited yeah i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah i so before we recorded you were telling me that you are struggling a little bit in this limited format yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I've done, I did some drafts Saturday morning. I did some drafts Sunday morning. And I don't, I didn't 3 0 any of them. Mm-hmm. I struggled to 2 1, one of them, I think. And I, I've just been losing a bunch. Uh, I've played mostly five color piles, mm-hmm. but my mana didn't come together. My cards weren't great. It's just, I, I've not been. I also had this, uh, my second draft was a green white deck, which we can describe it as, I guess because mm-hmm. uh, i had the anthem guy i got the anthem guy really early which is a nonsense card i'm like upset that this card even exists at all it's a legend so i have no chance of remembering the name but it is maja redegard protector so i got him like pretty early but it became pretty clear on pack two that i was getting cut white in one direction and green in another <laughs> And so my deck did not have good cards in it except for that legend. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, like, did never get there. Yeah. Well, I will follow that story with my own Maja story, which is that my last 3-0, in my, like, last game playing with it, I went turn 5, I cast the blue-black 5-drop, Legend, Narfi, Betrayer King, and then my turn six, I cast Maja, Bredegard, Protector, and played a land to make a 1-1. So with the exact same lands, I cast a spell that costs three blue-black and a spell that costs two green-white-white. And because of that, I am enjoying this format quite a bit, because most of my decks have been able to do that. <laughs> there, There is really good mana fixing in this set, surprisingly. Mm-hmm. So it makes all these, like... And maybe I'm trying to like force synergies too much instead of just picking mana fixing a good cards. Mm-hmm. But like, tell me more. Well, so like, I'm interested in knowing like what kind of synergies you. So there's a bunch like... of tribal cards and like mm-hmm. snow matter stuff in the set. Most of which seem kind of mopey and medium. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's because they're not working out for you. Everything I've tried just doesn't really work out. The snow cards seem just a little too restrictive um, and that could be just learning how to draft snowlands higher mm-hmm. and the tribal cards don't seem better than just strong cards like behold the multiverse so i'm always at odds between picking a synergy card or like just really strong card yeah so as far as like the tribal cards go the only stuff that i've seen that has impressed me and it's i haven't really been doing any tribal stuff but when my opponents have cast it, I've been like, oh, no. The only ones that have really done it for me have been, like, the tribal... A couple of the tribal sagas. So, in particular, the the Berserker saga is just absolutely disgusting if you have other Berserkers in your deck. And so I had an opponent who went, like, two-drop Berserker into Blood Sky Massacre into the three-drop, three-two haste Berserker. And, like... I had killed one of their Berserkers, and I put up a blocker that could deal with the two-drop Berserker, like, could block it, kill it, and survive. But then there was the 3-2 Haste, so, like, they still just drew a card off of their thing, and I just, like, felt so behind. And then they got two mana on the on Chapter 3, and it just, like, 
it didn't make any sense. So that card has been really good. And then like Battle of Frost and Fire and some of the Giants stuff has been really good in particular because it's really easy to enable with some of the blue changelings. So like the, the Giants tribal synergies seem fine. That like that elf stuff has not been a thing that has impressed me at all or whatever. Yeah, so. I, I, my, my green white deck was like an elder. What's the name of that card? The four drop that makes an elf token when it enters the battlefield. And then I had an elvish warmaster, so I was trying to like go crazy, but mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really. Like those cards are just too. Well, not the warmaster, but the four drop is just a little too bad rate. Yeah. Yeah, so I definitely, those are not the synergies that I'm generally, like, looking for. A lot of my drafts so far, and a lot of my most successful and, like, most powerful feeling decks have been the five-color decks. You know, like, I had one game where my opponent cast the Fortel card that makes angels and just made three angels against me. And I was like, oh boy, here we go. And then, like, my cards were just powerful enough that I, like, killed one angel found a tapper to tap another one down took two hits and then traded for the last and just like and then i had the i still had the cards to deal so like these are these are really really powerful decks and the key that i have found has been basically prioritizing your mana really 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 high in pack one like the last five color deck that i drafted i had like two actual spells at the end of pack one but I had like four dual lands and a couple of snow basics and a couple of glittering frosts. And that's the enchantment, right? Yeah. So this is this is obviously a key card for the five color snow deck because it does both things is enables your mana and uh casts anything. Uh it's the enchant land that makes the the land snow. And whenever Enchanted Land is tapped for mana, you get an additional mana of any color, which is also snow mana because it's coming from a snow permanent. So, you know, I, I think I had my my two spells were good. It was it was an avalanche caller and the red removal spell that like refunds you the mana for the snow that you spent on it. But literally the rest of my deck was all mana at that point. And I was like quite happy with it. And then in packs two and three, I just got to take like six or seven different gold cards, like gold uncommons, and then just whatever common removal spells I saw in any color. And your mana just like works if you prioritize it. But if you didn't get there on the mana, then the deck falls apart completely. Like if you can't trust that your your deck is going to give you five colors by turn four or five, then you're in a lot of trouble, I think. That's probably where I'm going wrong. I'm, I'm more, I'm not prioritizing mana nearly as heavily as you are early on, which is mm -hmm. probably why my decks have been disastrous. Right, and the thing is, like, it feels bad to pass solid removal spells for like a snow duel or even a snow basic, but once you are in five colors, like, there's good removal spells in every single color. And so you'll find them like you'll, you know, all the times that you see like, well, there's a like pick seven arrest and I can't take it because I'm not white. Like you get to take advantage of every time that that happens. Yeah. Bound in gold. Bound in gold. Yeah. Yeah. And you also get really late ice bind pillars because you were stealing all the snow mana. In yeah. One. So a lot of people can't take it. And it's just yeah. ice even if you later. Yeah. I've definitely passed that card and been like, uh, this has to be, I have to be doing something wrong. This no. card is so strong. I mean, maybe 
but like that's this is one of the huge advantages of just like aggressively taking the snow duels and the snow basics in pack one is like then you get seven people at the table that are all like i guess i'm not in snow and then you know you get the snow nonsense you get the ice you get the fifth or sixth pick ice bind pillars you get as many uh you know this is not necessarily a let me stack up all of the what is it ice hide trolls that's not necessarily what you're doing with this deck because you're playing a control deck but i've been really happy having like one even just one copy of ice hide troll in your deck because it's such a difficult to deal with threat and like that can be your win condition and sometimes like you play it as a blocker it dies you get it back with one of many effects and then you just like attack for 10 with it twice and like that's how you finish the game out after just dealing with your opponent's stuff but there's some key card advantage cards like you have to pick up card advantage at some point somehow because your deck usually like my last deck had you have 20, so much mana right i had 21 mana sources in my deck and that's not even counting like the two sculptors of winter that i had in the deck which because they're grizzly bears so that, that doesn't count <laughs> So you have to make up for it. The best way to make up for it is Path to the World Tree. This is the Lay of the Land enchantment. When it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic, put it in your hand, and then it has two and Wooburg, sacrifice it, and then it does one little effect from each color. So all the, the different colors have different size effects on them. Yeah, so you, your little effect from white is game two. Your little effect from blue is draw two. Draw two. <laughs> <laughs> And you get a shock and a grizzly bear and they lose two life. Um, and you can also do this at instant speed and your opponent doesn't always know it. So I've had people attack with a 4-4 and I've shocked their guy and blocked with a 2-2 because it's a weird card that they hadn't seen used yet. It honestly has been in play for six turns. And they just like shortcutted it to at some point they'll get a grizzly bear. Right. But this card is so good. This card is one of the reasons to be in the archetype. When I started out, it was like, okay, I'll... I'll go into snow if I see a path to the world tree and like maybe I can wheel it. I'll go into five color snow, but I think that that probably won't last because like number one, this card is just like a two mana lay of the land is like close to fine on its own in this format because it not only fixes your mana, but it puts you up a snow count in your it deck. It gets you a snow permanent, yeah. Yeah, and and that's good. But act, when you activate it, you just go up. Because, like, even just the, I got a land and then I draw two cards, like, that is a three for one. And then you make the other stuff. Like, the other stuff you will find uses for. A shock and a bear is, like, you know, together that's worth a card, really, even late in the game. So, like, th this is a really powerful engine. I've also, depending on how many non-land snow permanents you have in your deck, uh, in particular, if you have multiple... I have to look up every one of these cards. Describe. I if you have... If you have multiple Priest of the Haunted Edge, this is the two mana 04 that you tap and sacrifice it to give a creature minus X minus X equal to the number of snow lands you control. So, you know, if you have multiple permanents like that, then the blue-green saga, uh, the three seasons, mills you for three, and then you next turn you can bring back two snow permanents from your graveyard. And then the third step is like shuffling cards from graveyards into libraries but i found that to be quite powerful if you have a lot of times you want to bring back a land and if you get back a land and a a, a priest or whatever then that's a really really good spell that that will often like catapult you into just i'm up way too many cards for you to deal with but you do need some 
card advantage engine. And sometimes that card advantage engine is like, yeah, I managed to pick up like two or three Searles pack mates over the course of the draft. <laughs> and uh, that is a ridiculous common that just shouldn't exist. I mean, I, I play Hill Giant with regularity in Limited. Hill Giant that draws a card is pretty nice. Green in this set for Limited is just unreal. Like, Pac-Mate is the best common. Icehide Troll, it, as long as you have the snow mana for it, like, becomes the best common. It feels a lot like Wicked Wolf when your opponent has two snow mana. Mm -hmm. It's, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, like, undeal with a bull. <laughs> yes, that's the, that's the adjective. <laughs> that's the technical term. And then you've also got Snakeskin Veil as just a really gross, like, combat trick counterspell thing. This, this is the blossoming defense kind of thing instant put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control and it gains hexproof until end of turn like a lot of blowouts with this card yeah mostly because you just edge out something on combat and usually with those kind of effects it's one done but with this one your creature's just bigger now mm -hmm. which affects the next combat and the combat after that yeah and turning your 2-3 into a 3-4 in this format, like, that's a huge breakpoint. So choosing the creature, choosing the opportunity to Snakeskin Veil, you can get this sort of, like, I don't know, just kind of snowballing card advantage because the the creature is too big to deal with on the board anymore. Snowballing is a different term in this set. We have to <laughs> figure out something else to use. I definitely have a lot to learn about the other archetypes of the set. Like, I feel very, very comfortable with the five-color snow deck, but I am probably looking to get into it a little too actively, given how much success I've had with it <laughs> and, like, how much I don't really know about the other archetypes yet, so... Yeah, and I've mostly been trying to follow your success badly, so I'll, I'll try out other stuff and try your strategy, too, when I get to drafting more this weekend. Well, I guess this weekend's a, a rough one because of the Meta Tournament, but... yeah. When I get to draft. I guess a couple more keys that I have found is you don't really need to, you know, a lot of control decks and especially decks with mana ramp in them are going to have several expensive spells. I've had good versions of this deck with like one five mana spell and one six mana spell and just a stack of three mana cards. Honestly, if you just have a stack of like a pack mate and something else on the board and you play the... Oh lord, what's it called? The six minute blue card. It's like bounce something and then mm -hmm. time up something. Yeah. Like that card's a big combat blowout. Or yeah. not a combat blowout, but like a board blowout. That's true. I haven't really tried that card in snow decks, but I could see it being very good. Well, it just reminds me of that card from Theros that was like bounce three creatures and then scry one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that card was just they die, scry yeah, one. That's true. I mean, in this, in my versions of this deck, you often have very little on the board. I'll often have 10 plus removal spells in the deck, which is why when I played a match against an opponent who played Battle Mammoth, just foretold it and then played it on turn four, and then the <laughs> best I could do was put a, a bound in gold on it. And then for the rest of the game, my opponent was just drawing cards off of like every spell that I cast. That was really bad. <laughs> well, oops. Y yeah, I mean... I couldn't take six every turn, so... They, oh man, they get to draw a card up a Bounding Gold, too? That's rough. Yes, it was awful. It was so bad. And then they played it turn four the next game. I've definitely found 
a spikiness in the power level of individual cards in this set. Some of the mythics are really, really good. That green-white uncommon is... It just doesn't make sense. It's... I, I, I just really don't get it. It's just Tristani at uncommon. It's a, it's a little harder to cast, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Except for all the mana fixing. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't get it. it. It doesn't make very much sense to me. Searle's pack made at common. Just like... I have had a, an opponent just like kind of chain through those and like, yeah, they're three threes, but my opponent also just still has six cards in their hand after casting them. And I like can't possibly win the game at this point. And I don't know. It, it There's some weirdness to this format that I, I still need to figure out for sure. Got a list of cards here you want to talk about? Oh, yeah. You want to walk me through them? Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, I just have a list of like quick hits on cards that I have found to be key cards or better or like more important in some way than you might think by read or that than I thought by reading the card and then playing with them has giving me a lot more information about them. I guess Mistwalker, like I should have been able to figure out from the start that it was very, very good. This is a three mana, two and a blue for a one four flyer with changeling and it has like one and a blue. It gets plus one minus one until end of turn. And it just brick walls stuff and turns on all of your usually giants synergies but it's really, really good at that. Giants has the most, correct me if I'm wrong, but like it just has the most density of tribal stuff at common common. Yeah, and and particularly turning on the flashback... Glimpse the Cosmos. Glim- Glimpse the Cosmos, yeah. Turning that on is really good. Yes. That's probably why it's an uncommon. <laughs> yeah. Avalanche Caller is a huge payoff for having like a lot of Snowlands in your deck. This is the two mana one three that has two target snow land you control becomes a four four with hexproof and gains haste until end of turn. It just like is a massive, massive threat. And also really quick, you can cast this. Like I've had turns where I cast this, animated two lands and attacked my opponent. And then the next turn, I just killed them with my lands. Yeah, uh, this card was pretty obviously good as long as snow was playable. Right. Was to me. But it is really strong it's right like it's like clearly good and then it's in play and you're like wow i can never beat that card ever it it also just kind of sucks that the lands have hexproof because there's just the only way to beat them in combat is to have the one the the few pump spells in the format or just have your reach be bigger you can't remove them or anything like that right right yeah no it it's it's a rough one and probably a little too (laughs) overtuned Cinderheart Giant is a 7-mana seven 7-6 seven, trample that when it dies, it deals 7 to one of their creatures at random. And I think in particular, the fact that one of Red's totally playable kind of filler uncommon, but honestly, I'm really happy to run two copies of these in most decks, is Seize the Spoils, which is a 3-mana Tormenting Voice that leaves behind a treasure. Uh, it makes it much easier to cast a 7-mana spell at some point in the game. And this thing is just really big, and it has trample. And because you're probably running a couple of Axe Guard Cavalries already, which is the two-mana Grizzly Bear that taps to give a guy haste, uh, having some 7-6 tramples in your deck to go with that guy is is really good. I, I actually really like Cinderheart Giant. Mm-hmm. It's a card I initially underrated because it's 7-mana. But that's not uncastable in this format. Yeah. And it, it's kind of... Like, being such a big creature comes to the drawback of being chump block, but you can't chump block this guy. 
So they have to deal with it, and when they deal with it, it takes something out with it. Usually multiple things, because of the nature of being a giant creature. Right. It's just really nice. Yeah, if it didn't have trample, it would be very whatever, but it, it's got trample. Uh, mention Seize the Spoils. I think this is a key card for the five-color deck, because it helps you... You're running 21 mana sources. At some point, you want to dump one, probably. But also, like, early on, it helps you. Like, if you didn't draw your green mana to play your enchant land, like, this can help you get there. And one of the play patterns with it that I like a lot is, like, turn to foretell the white removal spell that deals five to a tap creature. And then turn four, or turn three, you can seize the spoils, and then you've got your one mana up in case you need to cast that removal spell, and then you're just kind of holding it up for whenever it makes sense to cast from there. Like, it does a lot of things that I think are good. Helps you cast your seven drops, etc. Ice Hide Troll, as long as you can activate it, is the best common in the set, even better than Soros Packmate. Path to the World Tree. The first time I saw it in a pack, I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? And then the first time I put it in a deck, I was like, oh, wow, this is the only thing I want to do in this format. Scorn Evagy is the Scarecrow 3-mana 2-3 that just has Foretell 0. And it's just a great little curve filler. If you are playing a deck that just doesn't really have 2s, it just like does that for you, and it does it in any color. And so if you keep an eye on your curve and you want to fill it, this can do it in any deck. And I have the satisfy the satisfaction of the turn three when your opponent like it you they probably think they got the drop on you, but then your turn three is like two dudes, like it feels really good. You're trying to get ahead on tempo because you foretold a card, right? Then your foretell cost was three and not a spell, so yeah, yeah. So yeah, those were my quick hit cards that I have had specific experiences with. Yeah, I have to get more drafts in. I. We'll 3-0 a draft at some point, for sure. I'm but I haven't yet. Confident you see, like I just can't imagine that our drafting strategies are that divergent that I like, I definitely wasn't prioritizing that as high as you are. But that's because yeah. like, I'm very greedy, I think. <laughs> like I like attacking a lot in limited. So I'm drawn to you know, cards that do stuff. Right. And I am just not really my default in this format is not been to be in an attacking deck. Like if the cards for that are coming, sure. But I'm happy to just take snow lands until I figure out what's going on. <laughs> there are enough powerful cards in the set and the really powerful cards are easily worth like, and you can get a hand, uh, several of these cards that are easily worth two or three cards whenever you cast them that I, I, I feel like having faith that they will show up because you don't care what color they are in pack two or three is like safe to do. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, I just want to play the Berserker. Like the person you played with the Berserker stack, that's who I want to be. Yeah, but see, that only worked because they had the one rare. of those cards yeah. that was worth like two or three or more cards when they it's cast also, it. It's also a rare, so it's not going to come up ever. Oh, is that a rare? The the red black berserker saga is certainly a rare. Okay, I mean, or, makes... I, or I have never seen it. I mean, I think you're right. Oh yeah, yeah, it is definitely a rare because Carter's vicious return is the uncommon black red saga. Yeah, yeah, that one's significantly less impressive. Yeah, I'm terrified every time my opponent casts the berserker saga. I've seen it multiple times, and each time I'm like, oh my god, this is horrible for me. Uh. 
Yeah, so I guess just some of my initial takeaways. This goes hand in hand with Cinderheart Giant mostly, but like, don't be afraid to play a couple of seven drops if your deck is like capable of it and wants that effect. Fortel is really powerful to allow mid-rangey decks to sort of like keep up on tempo without having to play a bunch of like medium twos just to have something to do on turn two. But that said, Grizzly Bears are like pretty fine in this format given there is a decent number of three twos and in particular three twos that like you don't want your opponent to attack with multiple times or they'll go up a bunch of a bunch of cards. So Grizzly Bears are like pretty fine. But yeah, certainly way more to learn about this format. I'm having fun, although I have definitely experienced like oh, there's an unbeatable mythic or an unbeatable common <laughs> on the other side of the table. Unbeatable uncommon. Yeah. This is why I play so many removal spells. <laughs> so that when you kill their anthem, they're just left with a couple tokens. I mean, there's just like a a lot of cards that you gotta kill so i'm just gonna play 10 removal spells and not worry about it too much uh, well i, I want to do another limited episode and i'll need a lot more drafts before i can you know be comfortable this is says much harder for me than the card was yeah much different so yeah we should definitely do a full limited episode that that'll be fun to do and i'm sure that i will like loot my my hot streak will disappear once, like, more people are playing better and have caught on to stuff and also variance catches up to me, so. Do you want to do a question we missed from a few weeks ago? Yeah, if we got one. Yeah, I got one. Nice. So this is, this is from Ian. Ian asks, what are the biggest things you've learned about doing coverage, both in generally and specifically online events? Well, do you want to go first on this one as I think of my answer? Well, yeah, of course. Great. I'll just put some filler words in here so I can think of my answer. <laughs> uh, no, like the act of doing commentary itself, because that's mostly what I've been doing. Uh, CCR has done a lot on the getting everything ready and set up and produced, which I haven't done like a ton of. But actually commentating itself is challenging because talking about magic is relatively easy. But, like, presenting information in a way that lets the other person talk and you have to be fair to all the players. And, like, one of the things that always annoyed me from normal coverage, I guess in lots of event coverage, would be taking that to a ridiculous extreme where the game is happening and it's very clear who's won. So... The commentators don't want to just call it, but will keep acting as if the game is in a place where someone can come back mm-hmm. when it's often not the case. And I've learned that just kind of keeping it real with the viewers is more like just generally entertaining than saying, oh, how does this person get back in? Oh, they just can't. Okay, so. Right, right. <laughs> like, you can just keep it real. And if someone. Like, because we're doing stuff in Discord where players have to share screens, sometimes there's, like, malfunctions and hiccups and stuff like that where people are just looking at deck lists for extended periods of time, like, during the match. And we can just talk about, oh, let's look at the deck list, let's see what he's looking at and stuff like that. You don't have to, like, ignore it and pretend it doesn't exist. Right. Which is, I think, a big mistake a lot of people fall into. Like, you can't just ignore things that are happening. 
like I remember a match I commentated with Liz, the person we were watching kept going to Facebook and like messaging. And <laughs> this was on stream. You just knew it was being recorded and all that. Just messaging Facebook. And the, fir- the first time we ignored it because it was real quick. But then he kept doing it, and we're just like comment. And then we just started commentating about it because, like, we're not going to ignore it. Right. Like, what are you going to do? We're not going to take down the match because it's in the middle of it. So, just got to talk about their Facebook messages for a while. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I think you're totally right. Like, the audience would rather you just be honest and straightforward with them about stuff instead of like trying to like half-assedly cover for things that are that everybody knows is happening like you know if we had to like leave the match and go back to the booth because of a technical difficulty or something you know just like respect your audience and their ability to put two and two together about stuff so yeah this is we're just we're just gonna laugh at him a little bit because yeah. we're, we're all here together while this thing is happening we do have to watch the match as well so <laughs> right and i mean like there's not a huge gap between especially when you're covering a digital game like there's not a huge gap between the people watching the tournament and the commentators doing coverage on the tournament it's just like you're all watching exactly the same thing it's just that like the words that we say are the words that go out on the twitch stream so like you're all kind of having a similar experience together so just share in it mostly yeah exactly uh other than that we have in our commentary like style it was really, really, really easy when like me and you were doing it because we would just kind of do whatever and it worked because we've been talking we, for a long time. We have hundreds of hours of talking about magic under our belts with each other. Yeah, well, we started like introducing like Liz and Jarvis and stuff like people. Uh, it was more difficult because, you know, it's all online and I hadn't talked to them nearly as much as I talked to you and stuff like that. So I had to figure out how to like what i wanted to do in a role in commentary like sit back ask questions be the one who's like the expert stuff like that and also the like normal people stuff like how to not talk over someone or what to do if you are being talked over on a rug (laughs) (laughs) see he's like me though like we just get really excited and it's so hard to stop ourselves that but yes, like that's a thing that I clearly need to work on too. So, I, I honestly usually just don't mind it at all because, like you and Honorog specifically, are both smart people that have good things worth saying, <laughs> and I don't mind just listening. And if I need to say something, I will interrupt you. Mm-hmm. Like I just will. All right, and I don't think either Honorog or I are ever bothered by that. Like, kind of like expect it to happen. So. Yeah, <laughs> and usually you're interrupting to like point out something that like i didn't notice and then it's like oh well i'm really glad that you interrupted me to point that out before i said something very stupid or whatever thank god i didn't just keep talking for five minutes because i definitely was going to <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah i mean that's definitely something that i i mean like to talk about stuff that i have learned like i definitely know that i have a problem with talking over people and you know i don't know how much of it is like just i think i'm smart and i like am really impressed with myself and want to keep talking or whatever or i think it really is mostly like i like talking about whatever we are talking about because it's magic the gathering and i just like lots of stuff pops into my head but i never want to be 
disrespectful to the person I'm working with. And I, I think that means that I do need to keep a tighter control over my talking over predilection. <laughs> as far as other stuff goes, you know, I've had to move to more of a production role rather than in, in front of the camera role. And, you know, I don't mind doing that because it is within my suite of abilities. Although, you know, there's a ton of stuff that I need to learn, a ton of stuff that I need to improve on. And it's really difficult. Like this stuff is hard and I have a huge, you know, now like when there's some bug on the Watsi stream, you know, I'm extremely forgiving of it happening they have more resources and so they probably like it's you know you want them to do a good job and it's like a bummer when like there's weird audio glitches and stuff like that but i i know how difficult this stuff is for us and i know that it's so easy to just like have somebody push the wrong button and something gets screwed up or or have a setting wrong or something like that it's just really really easy so i i definitely have a respect for that now can i interrupt you yes of course speaking the uh the technical difficulty stuff, like while on air, is also pretty interesting because mm-hmm. you have to fill dead time a lot, and mm-hmm. sometimes you just run out of stuff to say. You have to figure out something else to say. Like we had a round with me and Jarvis where someone just didn't show up there for their match. They just did. It was in the top eight, and they just left. <laughs> and we didn't have a backup plan because it was the top eight, where we don't have. We just assume that we'll have. We'll be the matches will happen. So me and Jarvis just talked for like, I don't know. I don't actually know how long it was. Forever. It was probably over half an hour mm-hmm. where no magic was happening. It was just me and Jarvis just, just shooting the shit for about an hour and a half. Or excuse me, for half an hour. And that's not easy to do because mm-hmm. you're, you're planning on commentating a match. And there's also points where, you know, something technical on the stream goes long. Like at one time you forgot to meet your mic. And I think it was me and Otterug were just like <laughs> hinting that you'd come and help us, but you weren't listening. So we were just like trying to figure out how to commentate while listening to you and Chris's conversation in our ears. It's just like, this is this is one. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely still sorry and embarrassed about that one for sure. Like, there's just it's easy for little stuff. You know, that's just whoops, I didn't press the button on my mic after I like said a thing to you guys on over your, your headphones. Uh, it's just so easy for something to go wrong. And I, ideally it's stuff that doesn't like show up on stream, but it's not always that as moving to more of a production role, I haven't been able to do commentary and I definitely, you know, that's been kind of hard for me because I really enjoy doing it. And I I don't know. I like the attention or whatever. I, I, I like, I, but I like, I like talking about magic and I think that that's the like role that I enjoy having in all of this. That's why I start, that's why we do a podcast about magic is because talking about magic is fun. Uh, and so there's definitely been a bit of a loss for me in moving to that backroom role for most of our tournaments and so hopefully we can do something about that because I, I i do feel like i really would like to get back out there when i can so we'll see if i can't like i'm happy to keep doing the stuff that i am doing so that we can keep putting the show on like i, I 
you know, everybody has their role to play and this may just be mine. Um, but I would like to do a little bit, get back on camera some more. So we'll see. We'll see if that works. I don't know. A lot to learn still uh, going forward. And it is difficult because in doing a production like this, there's actually, you know, ideally you have somebody in each of several different roles who is quite good at each of those roles. And the more amateur you are at each of them, the like more obvious it really is. So like one of our problems is that we don't really have anyone in the graphic designer role. Like in our team, we don't have somebody who is like really visually oriented and has the graphic design knowledge and maybe like has the animation knowledge and stuff. So we've had to lean on people from like manager staff or from, you know, people that I know from other places that I've hired at to like do some small stuff for us. But that means that I can't get stuff done particularly quickly or when I need small fixes. And it's hard to just be working with someone to develop like a vision for what the stream looks like and stuff. And so uh, it's hard to do these things with a, a small team. And every as like the main thing that you learn as you're doing this is like everything is harder. E even though I come from a production background, when I was making movies in college and stuff, like we had somebody doing the titles who was good at titles. We had somebody doing the sound who was good at sound. We had somebody doing like we had somebody doing cinematography who was good at lighting and, and, and camera work, like, and dividing up those roles to people who have that experience makes the product a lot better as a whole when your team is small and, you know, just kind of like the people who there aren't very many people who can spend the time to come work for free on this sort of thing. And the people that we have involved are awesome and do their jobs like really well. And I'm so grateful for them. But like in order to do this, the way that like you sit down and you're like, what's the best magic stream that I could possibly put on? Like, you know, that needs a, a, a 12, 15 person team or something. And you know, we, we just don't have that. Yeah. Especially it's pandemic too. So it's like, you know, yeah local people yeah but i think we do pretty good with the resources that we have and i'm i'm very grateful for everybody involved because everybody who is involved does a fantastic job with the time and resources that we have available to us yeah i i enjoy it every time we do it and i'm sure we can get you into commentary more i'm positive yes i mean getting getting evan back is going to be key to that happening. So hopefully we can do that. But that is one thing that I am proud of. You know, like I, I work on the technical stuff and, and work on the presentation and things like that. And we're never going to be at a full, you know, professional production level with that. But I do think that we have excellent commentary and we keep games up for the vast majority of the stream. And so, like, if you tune into one of our tournament streams, you're very likely to get to watch a game and you will have people talking at you. We're not going to have, like, slideshows of ads up. We have stuff going on. And, and that, I think, is the most important thing. And it's thanks to you guys in the booth that we are able to do that and keep content up so well. And so I, I think we do that really well. Yeah, I think that's, like, one of the coolest things about our little production is we just always on pretty much right which backfires when we just like lose a match and it's just like well 
we don't have ads to go to, so keep talking, <laughs> y'all, unless we just want to, like, put up a we'll be back screen. And that's that's something else we learned, like, the having stuff to talk about. Like, we prepare images for deck lists and mm-hmm. metagame breakdowns and stuff like that. All that's, like, good just in general. Having that data tournament stuff gives you talking points. But it's also good so you, like, have stuff to talk about. Mm-hmm. Right. Because... If I'm just sitting there and you're like, talk, I go, what? But if you're just like, here's one topic thing, and it's like, all right, we got 15 minutes on this, let's go. Is a centaur person <laughs> Our audience doesn't know about this joke. That's an inside joke. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> we, had a, we had a rowdy debate one day. Chris got quite heated. On that question. Well, the, the question is, like, what percentage does, like, a centaur resemble a person? And it's, like, very obviously 50%, but it was it was a heated discussion. You can hear us in the background of the SCG Richmond Top 8 <laughs> as we're having this heated discussion, because we're right next to the Top 8 tables. We have no respect. It's No, terrible. not at all. <laughs> Just a bunch of disruptive jerks. All right, cool. Well, that's what we know about Kaldheim and also some commentary stuff. I don't really have anything else to talk about today. No, I'm, I'm set. All right, fantastic. Thank you so much to everybody for listening. We really, really appreciate your time. If you would like to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I am tweeting from at ccr underscore grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I'm at Lee McLeo. Thanks again for listening and have a great week. Bye.